How many of us can boast about having a great mentor? I know I did. One of my mentors was Dr. Alma Renee Williams. Today, I'm talking with Distinguished Professor Emerita, Dr. Vicki Ruiz. We talk about the importance and the responsibility of mentorship. Welcome to the Empowerment Zone with Ramona Houston, where we zone in on black and brown relations and our journey to empowering our communities. absolutely love my conversation with Dr. Ruiz. I learned about the importance of mentorship programs that she helped to create and grow and how they not only impacted students, the mentees, but they also profoundly impacted the professors, the mentors as well. Yes, mentorship is one of the tools of personal and community empowerment. We can all learn from Dr. Ruiz and why we should each give the gift of mentorship. Dr. Vicki Ruiz is a distinguished professor emerita of history and Chicano Latino studies in the Department of History at the University of California, Irvine. Enjoy our conversation and see show notes for more information about Dr. Uh, Dr. Vicki Ruiz. As always, please subscribe to the Empowerment Zone podcast and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Your support will ensure that we continue our journey in empowerment and impact. Thank you. Enjoy our conversation. We are back this week centering and elevating African-American and Latina, Latino, Latinx voices. And it is a pleasure today to have Dr. Vicki Ruiz. Uh, she is a historian and has paved the way for so many of us. Uh, she's ha She has all types of accolades. And first time that I was introduced to her was... Uh, in class, uh, in one of my classes at the University of Texas at Austin, where Dr. Antonia Castaneda was my professor, and we read mm -hmm. one of Dr. Ruiz's books, and I later had the opportunity to meet her at the American Historical Association uh, National Conference. So it's great to have her with us. She's one of uh, the whales in our sea. <laughs> Uh, and so we're so happy to have her. Welcome, Dr. Ruiz. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I um, really appreciate the invitation. Yes, well, I'm definitely excited to have you on the show. You've done so much to pave the way for many of us who are historians and also just paving the way for uh, people to, especially first-generation uh, college students to really uh, pursue an education and also uh, go beyond what they ever dreamed of by, uh, of course, attending graduate school and pursuing all types of professional uh, careers. So I'm glad to have you. So I know we're going to talk about mentorship, which is really important to your heart. Before we begin our conversation, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and what was your journey, professional evolution to becoming a historian? Well, when I was growing up, I sort of learned two types of history. 
the history at school and the history at home. Uh, my mother, my grandmother would regale me with stories about uh, their Colorado girlhoods. Uh, my grandmother was born in about 1880. My mother was born in uh, 1921. And there was, it was, it was an exciting history, but it was nothing. I mean, at school, it was Pancho Villa, Ponce de Leon, and the Alamo. And that was like the extent of Latino history, you know? And what happened, I was going to be, my mother had an eighth grade education. It was during the depression, father died. So she had to go to work. And so she always encouraged education for my sister and I. And she's always, you're going to go to college. You're going to go to college. You're going to go to college. Uh, but, and we could have any career we wanted as long as we were teachers. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, sister's a retired elementary school teacher and, and my good ed. And uh, I was going to be a high school history teacher. I was going to be a high school history teacher. Um, I'm a community college graduate. Uh, when... I was in um, in high school. I didn't start off in an AP track. I was in a business track. Uh, I took fundamentals of math, and it wasn't. I didn't even know there was such a thing as AP courses till my uh, junior year. Hmm. And I had Mrs. Mrs. Uh, Epps and my French teacher, Mrs. Survey Crutchfield, Madeline Survey Crutchfield, who encouraged me to try out for these AP classes because I. As I said, I didn't know, you know what they were. And I went to uh, uh, community college. Actually, it's a, it's, 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 a, it's a story that reflects the times in Florida because I grew up in Florida in two places, Marathon and the Florida Keys, and then the Florida, the Florida Panhandle, a place called Panama City. Um, <laughs> there was a scholarship for the of $500, a lot of money in 1973, that for the student who taught, who scored the top score in US history. I was very excited, I studied very hard. However, though I got the top score, I soon realized that I was not eligible because the scholarship was sponsored by the United Daughters of the Confederacy. <laughs> and in order to be qualified, one had to be a direct descendant of a Confederate soldier, a politician. Well, that would just like, you know, it just wipes out African-Americans, you know, Latinos, Asian-Americans, uh, naval base, uh, transplants, you know, in, in you know, it just, it, it was a, a rarefied. So while, you know, fortunately, while the UDC did not want to invest in me, others did. Mm -hmm. uh, in community college was the first place where I had professors who said, oh, you know, you're smart, you're smart. And I went to Florida State. I was going to be a high school history teacher. Totally. It was the winter of 1976. I attended the, the, uh, the first ever U.S. women's history course taught at Florida, at Florida State by Jean Gould Bryant. She was an assistant professor, PhD Stanford, grown up in Ventura, California. And she asked me to come see her during her office hours. I thought I said that's something wrong. This was, you know. What, it, what, what was going on? So I met with her and she said, um, you know, she asked me a little bit about myself and telling her and she goes, well, what is your, what is your goal? I said, maybe a high school history teacher. She goes, are you enjoying your education classes? And I said, no, I hate them because I really did. 
because I, I mean, you got a, you know, you got graded on what was called instructional technology, which was like the eight millimeter film reels to thread it in a machine, <laughs> the 16 millimeter, the film strips, mm-hmm. how to make transparencies. I mean, I was like <laughs> bored out of my mind. Uh, so she said, have you thought about graduate school in history? I said, oh no, history. Graduate school for rich people or smart people. I'm neither. And she goes, oh, yes, you are. And so she began to mentor me. She began I uh, to, you know, encourage me to, to, to look at graduate, graduate programs beyond Florida State and began, you know, work helping with my writing, with my conceptualization. Uh, she was really, really invested in my success. And then the next quarter, they didn't have African-American. They didn't have Latino studies. They didn't have but they didn't have African-American studies either. I mean, this is 1976. They had something called race relations and sociology. And they had just hired uh, Leonore Boone Johnson, who was um, an, a, who was an assistant professor, newly minted from UCLA. She had grown up in Pasadena. And here she is in Tallahassee, Florida in 1976, teaching race relations. And I remember sitting in the front row and I was like, wow, I'd love to do this. This is like the bravest woman I've ever seen. <laughs> because you, it was really, it was like the white students on one side, African-American students on the other. And I just remember the front row thinking, yeah, this woman is phenomenal. And so I got up by courage. I went to talk to her. And she asked me about my background. And I told her. And she began giving me books, loaning me books in Chicano Studies. It's the first time I saw my, my family's history. I'd grown up that... My, my to to my mother, her father, who was an activist in the uh, industrial workers of the world in the IWW, he was a wobbly. He was involved in the Columbine strike in 1927. Mm-hmm. And to see that, he was a, a Mexican immigrant from Leon Onoato, and so to see that, and that it wasn't the common union that I learned in 10th grade U.S. history, 11th grade U.S. history, you know, it was, a, it was really important. And um, and I provided you know perspective, and because of these two women, you know I was, you know they gave me the confidence to apply to grad to grad to apply to graduate school, and then in February of 1977, after all my applications were in, I received a call from Albert Camarillo, then assistant professor at Stanford, and he talked to me about my interest in Chicago history about 30 minutes. Then he called my parents, and he talked to my parents for 30 minutes. After that, it was like, that's the only place I was going to go. That was going to go. And how my, my parents framed it was not like, oh, Stanford's a great place <laughs> to get a degree. But Helen and his wife are going to take care of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to take care of you. And of course, in my mother's words at the time, and you're going to meet somebody really nice. <laughs> my mother, you know. <laughs> yeah, this is not my intention of going to Stanford, but. We really, uh, it was a, uh, it was it was that confidence that, and then I had another instructor, Jim, the late Jim Jones. Gene has also passed away. Uh, the late Gene, jo- the late Jim Jones. Um, when he learned that I was going to go off to graduate school, he also began to take an interest, and he encouraged me to take what were I called sandbox English. It was these one credit units to help me with my writing. You went in, it was like the old SER modules. You take a module, you do the lesson, you take a test, and then the graduate student would grade it, then you'd go on to the next. And that really helped me uh, with my writing. It helped me a great deal. And uh, and I 
realize, you know, and that's one of the things that, that I've always tried to do is that mentorship is a gift. And I think we have a responsibility as women of color, as first gen, to re-gift that mentorship. Mm. And it's, you know, it's one person, you know, it's one person at a time. And one of the things that I've I've tried to do is at Davis, after I was I was newly tenured, I was part of a group that we established mentorship for undergraduate researchers in agriculture, letters, and science. It had the key uh, acronym of murals. And it was the idea of taking mentorships from an individual to an institutional responsibility. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that's one reason why DEI is seen as this big bugaboo because it's institutional mentorship. Mm -hmm. You think about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's making it a part of the institution. It's part of the institutional mission. We did at murals. Uh, I was uh, the faculty director, Gail Martinez, who was in then advising services was the sort of the administrator. And basically we built a program that was a to be a pipeline program for graduate for students of color. It was to put undergraduates in one-on-one -on -one mentorships with professors in, in areas they were interested in. We had a memorandum of understanding with the professors. So this person could not be a copy gopher. I mean, this is pre-internet. This is they could not be a copy gopher. They couldn't be a secretary. Uh, they couldn't just be, you know going to the library and get books. They had to do real research. And in the sciences, they couldn't be passed off to the grad student. They had to be work with the faculty member. And then the students had a memorandum setting about sort of what they would do. And they would each sign each other's memorandum. So everybody knew what you're supposed to do. So there was, there was, there was no confusion. And we brought the students together in murals and quarterly seminars. So they got to know each other. And that was part of a joint research enterprise. Uh, we had an annual conference. I was able to get really good money from student affairs because we always had a steak dinner at the fact, at the university club. And people were so proud of their mentors. There was one point where one uh, young man one, wanted to work with this professor that had the reputation of being anti-affirmative action. And, you know, I thought, I'm not going to tell this guy, find somebody else. I just said, okay, go talk to him. I said, I wanted to see if he would turn this down. He didn't. And he really enjoyed the program. He became a big advocate for the program. Uh, in uh, 91, when the budget cuts started hitting the UC system, the first time, uh, Muros was on, on the table. And he was on the budget committee, and he fought for it. Wow. He fought for it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, this is the, the power of, of this student and, and their relationship. I think changed his perspective. Um, and Gail went on to get a PhD in education from UC Davis and murals was her dissertation topic. Mm -hmm. And she looked at this cohort between 1988 to 1997 at a time before 209 when it was just for students of color. It's still in existence 35 years later, but it's for first gen financially eligible students. So it's, it's sort of open you know, to everyone. And, but that 10 year period, when it was just a pipeline program, 77% of the people who at most, she had three quarter, she had 75% response rate to her surveys, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. And 77% of those who responded went on for an advanced degree, 50% wow. at DMA. Wow. And they, and they remembered murals with great fondness of forging friendships, uh, appreciating their mentors. Uh, my own, uh, I had three 
because I, I went off to Claremont. So I only had three mentees because uh, I left in 92. Uh, one is uh, my comadre, Alicia Rodriguez Estrada. She is a uh, historian and former chair at LA Trade Tech. Julie Figueroa is a professor of ethnic studies in Sacramento. And uh, Amagda Perez is a clinical professor in the law school at Davis. Hmm. And to watch, you know, these women grow, but also see the sort of create this, this community. I mean, my biggest disappointment is the fact that all the jobs we thought were going to be available in the 90s and the, and, and the early 2000s never came to fruition. Hmm. You remember, we were all preparing people for jobs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as you know, the, the job market never got better. Got worse. Uh, but I thought that that, but you know, people not only went into graduate school, but they went to law school, you know, a couple of doctors out of the murals program. Uh, students, one student went to Costa Rica to uh, uh, Beatriz Enriquez uh, to talk about AIDS and student attitudes toward AIDS. And this is the late 90s with her mentor. Another, Dominique Disson, went to Paris with a zoology professor to talk about his research on chicken hearts. I mean, it was just, it was amazing the investment and the professors found what we did as part of it is, this is of course, this is, you know, late eighties. Students got $500 a quarter and it had to be a two quarter commitment. Uh, and which was good money. And faculty members got $300 immediately added to their research account. So that at that point paid for a conference, but people went out and they raised money to take their students to them to conferences. And so I was, to me, it's that uh, murals, I, um, I'm very proud sort of the, the sort of the, the, the ground floor and, and, and to watch it grow. And at Arizona State, I became part of a, a longstanding mentorship program, Hispanic Mother Daughter Program, began in 1984. It's a five year commitment from eighth grade to senior year. Uh, mothers and daughters, and it's from basically there was a an income threshold, uh, so it was geared really at working class people, at working class uh, mothers and daughters, and it was with a joint partnership with the Phoenix Unified School District, and then with the school district in what was called the East Valley. The school district provided the school buses, and they would you didn't parking at Arizona State is like a hunting license, no. So they would, so the bus would pick up the young women at their schools with their mothers and they would take them to campus and bring them back. And that's what the school districts paid for. And school districts also paid for an office so that uh, a college graduate, so that a, uh, a college student who was an Hispanic mother daughter who are now sort of undergraduate interns would go and have office hours. Mm. And it was a really over, it's about a 90% graduation rate for all the students who stayed. Not only that, but a third of the mothers went on to continue their education. In 1996, uh, there was the first mother-daughter who graduated, both from the uh, Honors College. Uh, both were bilingual education majors. Uh, Monica and Lucia Rosco. And just to, to watch uh, that, and my, my goal, I was, I was not an administrator. I had, I had a graduate student who became a graduate student administrator with, but, but my role was the, uh, I was sort of a member of the sort of the, uh, the board, the advisory board. And I would do oral history and, and cultural history. 
and the and the workshops were done. Uh, there were for the mothers. There were bilingual workshops, and the watching the students do the. I did. I designed an oral history project that was that was, you know, just key to what eighth graders would ask their mothers. You know, a, a big family history, getting them interested in history, and then we awarded a prize for the best essay hmm. uh, based on the interviews, and that was. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And I, uh, so in fact, it was hard, in fact, to leave UC, UC, ASU to go to UC Irvine in 2001 because I was really attached to the program. But I knew that there was, but for me, it was the, uh, a lot of family reasons and also the uh, the resources that, that Irvine would, would would offer that I would not have. At Arizona State, although I did did really enjoy my time uh, at ASU, uh, so to me, it's that it's importance for me of, and at UCI was involved with Humanities Out There, which was an, an outreach program for K through twelve. So I think that for me, it's been that the the importance that it's you know one one person. You know, we can all make a difference in, in at least one person's life, but it's also making them, empowering them to think about what they want to do. And that's one thing I've tried to do is, even if someone like sort of goes through the program and decides, I don't want this, great, it's fine. Uh, because it because it's their life. And I think that the, for me, it's, it's, you know, when I work with, a, with graduate students, like, I will invest in you if you invest in the work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sort of the, the the way I've tried to approach it. I try to be encouraging, but I also give tough love. Uh, James Brooks in his book, Captives and Cousins that received a Bancroft, uh, thanked me because I, I was his MA chair at Davis, thanked me for my uh, uh, gentle heart and ruthless pen. <laughs> it's true because it's like you know i want to try to tell students which what estelle friedman uh, at stanford her 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 mantra is like she she told me not what i wanted to hear but what i needed to hear and that's what i try to do i try to tell students if you say this you're going to catch fire you have evidence for this you know what are you trying to say and to me, it's 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 wonderful to watch the 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 transition from a student who knows how to unpack, read a book, and unpack the thesis. I give you the evidence of which the thesis is based, and someone who comes up with their own intellectual arguments who are all involved in their own research. It's like it's it's just it's very rewarding. In fact, I consider the students that I've mentioned sort of the the jewels of my career because it, what they've done is it, it's it's phenomenal work, and trying to make the academy more accessible. Yeah. And more human. You know, these 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 two programs that you created or I didn't create Hispanic Mother Dog. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I was that I was you helped to build. Like yeah, that you helped to build, create and build. One important thing that you stated is institutionalizing mentorship. You have to institutionalize it. It's not, I mean, ASU invested, but it was the biggest bang for their buck. Because the majority of Hispanic mother-daughter uh, students that were going on to college, they were going to a four-year, went to ASU. 
Exactly. It's an investment. They didn't go to U of A. They went to ASU. They knew the campus. They were comfortable with the campus. They had already resources they could contact when they got to campus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As one um, Hispanic mother-daughter alum who was an, a, uh, a junior when, when, when I met her, she said, you know, you never graduate from Hispanic mother-daughter because <laughs> these young women that are called back <laughs> to mention the next cohort. Yeah, because, you know, a lot of us, we approach mentorship as just a one-off, you know, an, an individual makes their own commitment. But to institutionalize it has a much bigger impact. You know, you just talked about the way this professor changed after having a mentor. Yes. I mean, a mentee, excuse me. Yes. And the way the mentors, a mentees change, as you stated. Uh, the, 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 the GPAs. Exactly. The students would improve. Exactly. It, it really helped because they, they saw, they got their, they weren't just reading, they got their hands in the research. Mm -hmm. And they enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And then just the excitement. So what advice would you give to people who are in education to create their own or let me not say create, institutionalize and create, create and institutionalize. Uh, um, I have the, the mentorship program. What advice would you give them instead of it being something informal, something that's really formal that can make a broader impact? It takes energy, resources, investment. Uh, when my colleague Anita Casavantos Bradford was an assistant professor, didn't have tenure, she came to me with an idea. I'm first gen. I bet there are a lot of colleagues in the School of Social Sciences that are first gen. I do a lot of mentoring. Maybe we could be sort of an organized resources for first gen students as first gen faculty. I said, that's a great idea, Anita. So we went to the dean, and Dean Bill gave us lunch money, basically to have a lunch, to explore, hey, first-gen faculty, you know, if you identify as first-gen, would you like to work with first-gen students? And so it began from this lunch, and Anita did a beautiful PowerPoint about sort of the, the value of, mentor, of, of mentorship with the value of first-generation students, and who our students were in the School of Social Sciences, how many were first-gen. People got excited about it. Okay, so the first year, it was social sciences. Second year, it is spread across the campus. By the third or fourth year, it was UC-wide. The UC First Generation Initiative hmm. is now in 10 campuses with 900 faculty. Okay. And it all came from that one lunch, from an Anita's idea that became operationalized. And yeah. it's very decentralized. So it's like every campus has its own activities. Every campus has its, you know, its own, own sort of imprint about what they do so it's very decentralized but it but it spread and i love the fact that she wasn't discouraged by the lunch money you know no. if you get limited resources that doesn't mean that you can't grow you can't grow it grew and people seat. started contributing schools exactly. and then campus and and it's that's so really important and she you know and it was you know there were workshops there were activities we had faculty t-shirts and polo shirts, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, to identify us as first gen. Mm -hmm. And what she found out that what UC Upper Echelon didn't realize is that 42% of UC undergraduates are first gen. Wow. 
And that having that kind of data, you know, to secure the resources. You know, we want students to succeed. So tell me, you know, when you look at your involvement with mentorship and in these formalized, institutionalized mentorship programs, what do you think is the biggest takeaway, the biggest impact a person can make by being a mentor and being involved in mentorship programs as well as the mentee? What is the big takeaway? Well, I think what it... And it goes well, for me, it's watching, it's helping students expand to go places where they didn't think they could, or they think was possible. Uh, I actually have a, a note from, from one of my mentees, for actually from yours. Uh, Good morning. I hope you're well. Attached to my final letter for promotion to full professor. I was awarded my promotion. It's official. Vicki, you're always someone I considered a role model. Thank you for teaching me how to strive for personal and professional excellence. Your encouragement meant the world to me when I was an undergraduate. I remember coming to your office hours and you said you really liked my essay on La Maniche. Receiving that simple compliment set into motion my dreaming big. I feel completely blessed to have you as a professor, mentor, and role model. Your presence in my life has been such an enduring gift. For someone who grew up picking in the fields, was homeless with my family, as we transitioned from the fields to having my parents work in the cannery, and for someone who was trekked into special education because Spanish is my first language, this moment is huge. I mention these lived experiences because these experiences teach me be always be sincerely grateful for every experience that makes my life better. You've enriched my life. I mean, that's just like that's like better than any book award. Yeah, it's better than any book award. And you know, and I, I think first gen students have realized that yeah, they may not have the the cultural capital, they may not know about the hidden curriculum about where do you go for help? You know, go visit your professors. Uh, you know, and I would tell people, go visit. I mean, make a sooner salary. You know, it's like, just don't email, you know, come, you know, I said, I get lonely. I have <laughs> office hours, I get lonely, come see me. <laughs> and because I think what, what, they, what, what first generations have, I think they're brave, they're doing this. You know, and they bring a really rich cultural capital. Mm -hmm. They bring their traditions. They bring their families. Mm -hmm. um, have you heard of Pat Mora, the the the, the Hannah poet? Mm -hmm. uh, her her poem, University Avenue. I I don't recall the 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 poem, but oh, I I have it here. Okay, great, great, great. Because it's it's my favorite poem, mm -hmm. and I knew Pat at, at at UTEP. She was my my mentor because. When I got my PhD, my first job was University of Texas El Paso. Oh wow! I and yes, I showed up to my first job with a kid on the hip and another on the way. But for me, the biggest challenge was the fact that I never lived on the border, mm -hmm. and I needed to be educated. Mm -hmm. And Pat was one of my teachers, mm -hmm. and we would go to this little Mexican restaurant, no longer there, called Casa Dorado, and over chile rellenos about every other week. Mm -hmm. You know, she would. You know, I learned about UTEP. I learned about the border. And this is her poem, University Avenue. We are the first of our people to walk this path. We move cautiously, unfamiliar with the sounds. Guides for those who follow. Our people prepared us with gifts from the land, fire, herbs, and song. Yeba buena soothes us into morning. Rhythms hum in our blood. Abrazos linger around our bodies. Less lessons. Cuentos will whisper lessons in Espanol. 
We do not travel alone. Our people burn deep within us. To me, that that's the first generation student. That's beautiful. That's the first generation student. And the students we, you know, to need to, for me, it's having students as critical thinkers, mm-hmm. having students be able to write. I said, you know, whatever you do, you know, I want you to come out of this class. They said, well, you're not an English teacher. I said, I want you to come out of the class, but write a clear sentence, and you make an argument, and you can weigh evidence. Mm-hmm. Because I think critical thinking and weigh, weighing evidence now more than ever is, is so important. Mm-hmm. And that just tells us the power of mentorship. Yes. So, Dr. Ruiz, you being a college professor, you have many students that you have mentored. Uh, You've attended several colleges and universities and taught at several colleges and universities. And from the Empowerment Zone, we're all about empowering students for higher education. So we'd like to know what college and colleges did you attend? reason majors and what strategies would you give students to ensure that they're successful in college? I am a very proud 1975 graduate of Gulf Coast Community College. 1977, I received my uh, uh, BS in social science and reason at social sciences, they had to give me something because I had, you know, I took some history, I took some sociology, I took anthropology, thank goodness there was a this catch-all degree. So I could graduate on time in 1977 and uh, for Florida State. And then I received my uh, MA from Stanford in 1970. That was 77. Received my uh, master's degree a year later from Stanford in 1978 and my PhD in 1982 from Stanford. Um, For me, a gift student is understand the resources for you to get assistance. There are no dumb questions. Ask questions, go see professors during office hours and do not take incompletes unless you are really sick. Unless you give your professor gives you chicken pox like I gave the front row of my US history survey. <laughs> I think it was 1988 or 89. I gave my whole first roll chicken pox, courtesy of my courtesy of my students, of my by my students, my sons, courtesy of my two young sons that came home with chicken pox, and I had never had it, and I, you know, I thought I was like, they were enthralled. Everybody was looking at me, and I thought I'm giving the greatest lecture I've ever given in my life, you know, because they're all like looking at me, and the reason they're looking at me is I'm popping out like a pepperoni pizza. Wow. So I actually literally had, I had to have five students wake up for the front row. I'd given them chicken box. Mm-hmm. This is right toward the end of the like, That must have been 1988. Mm-hmm. I bet that was my, yeah, pretty sure that was 1988 when I had it. And I was like, oh my goodness, what, <laughs> what have I done? Uh, but yeah, don't take incompletes. Seek out the writing center. Mm-hmm. Seek out everything. Peer mentoring. Mm-hmm. Um, go to the go to the writing center. Be insistent, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there is this hidden of resources that you don't know about. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for that advice. Yes. That that there is, as you have stated, a hidden curriculum 
So you've got to learn how to take advantage of all the resources available mm -hmm. on campus. That includes, as you stated, the writing center, uh, making sure that you engage your peer mentors, and most of all, engage your professor during their office hours, but make sure you avoid them if they have the chicken pox. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Ruth. A special thank you to the incredible team of the Empowerment Zone. Terry Gully, theme song, NADWorks, digital support, and of course, our featured guest, 